Grievously on the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. Time has come for you to change your appearance, Doctor, and begin your exile. Is this some sort of joke? No, I, I refuse to be cheated in... What are you doing? Stop! You're making me giddy! No! You can't do this to me! And now the continuation. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the invasive task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and today we have a usually not at all invasive three-person discussion panel ready to walk the plank. Why do I keep leaving that in the script? Oh my god. We're still ready to walk the plank. It's still there. Okay, well, I'm not going to cut that out, but I will cut it out for next time, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. There's also our intermediate-level casual fan who's seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts. And this time it's the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Hello, hello, hello. Yep. And finally, we have our semi-novice fan, one who has seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've read for this podcast. And this time around, it's the wise and witty Allison Fitch Seyfried. Hello, Allison. We are not invasive, but rather are a native species. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't require any lube at all. Before we get to talking about the book... Almost made you spit that, didn't I? Before we get to talking about the book, let's talk about the fact that this is our 50th episode. Oh my god. We did oh it. no. Yes, everybody. You did it. We're well, at the balloons. I well, and that. Dalton's, I couldn't have done it without you two. Dalton's and the without second greatest member of the Everybody right? else. Yes. Dalton's yes. been on all but what? Maybe all half but <laughs> Maybe 10 total? No, you, well, no, not even 10. Uh, the first I mean, two. And that, and then no, you were on fairly regularly from then on. Yeah, there's been a handful here or there due to I'm being like, out. Oh, of that's town right. Or, that's right. Well, I the, the broke four. my foot. Oh yeah, I think it was but, four then. I think four, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all of us really. Yeah. Um. In fact, I was at C two E two today. Woo! Shout out to C two E two, and there was a uh, podcast get together, and it was all networking with other podcasters. And some of them have podcasts in the 500s, others are just starting, and whenever I told them, oh, we're doing episode 50 tonight, they were like, oh my god, what a milestone, and it really kind of is. We're now officially just shy of having completed one-third of this project, and it simply Mm. would not have been possible without my two co-panelists here, thank you guys. Of course. And without our patrons... We never expected to live this long. No. They're like, oh yeah, sure, we'll do that. And think, you know. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Mortality will take its course well, we'll and we be, won't have to actually follow through. I'll be I'll be dead by the end of it, but that's all right. And we couldn't have done it without our patrons who've supported us through this long run of episodes and who will hopefully will continue to do so as we get closer to finishing all 160 plus Target books. You can help us too by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash DWTargetBC. Depending on the amount you give per month, 
month you will receive, among other possible goodies, a randomly chosen BBC book, not a Target book, since we know you have so many of them that you've fashioned your extras into bookshelves to hold the more important books. <laughs> Yes. As a gift for supporting us, just to say thank you for being, keeping us on the ritual. <laughs> as, a, as a ritual humiliation for the Target books, <laughs> yes. they are first forced to serve other books, classier material, much better wow. books. And as usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons: Bart Lammy, Rick Taylor, Toby Bengelsdorf, Jay Barry, and the Video Junkyard Podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank Thanks you. Guys. I also want to talk about other podcasters that I met today. Because I will start following them, and if you're listening to us, you should at least give them a listen. If these are things that you like, one of our Patreons, who will remain nameless, actually paid for my fee to go to C2E2. So thank you Mm -hmm. in particular, you know who you are. And it allowed us to meet some wonderful people, such as the Wrestling with Unicorns podcast... Uh, who supports independent wrestling. They can be found on Facebook at Wrestling with Unicorns, Twitter at W underscore W underscore Unicorns. We also have another uh, wrestling podcast called the STF Underground Podcast. That's what they're called on Facebook. You can find them on Twitter at STF Underground. We also have the First Issue Club. It's a weekly comic book podcast and they cover nothing but first issues and heaven knows marvel has given them quite a few to cover lately uh, on twitter they're at first issue club i'm definitely going to check them out we also have uh bourbon bay productions who does that show with those guys live mondays at 6 30 p.m at tswt guys it's a fine title it is it is and the other show which is done by the same guy hosted by alex the greek who has this lovely british accent uh it's all greek to me which is just fantastic <laughs> I, I love that idea and his twitter handle is i'm alex the greek all one word, no, uh, no apostrophes. Oh my word! I am completely enamored of the first issue club. Isn't uh, it great? Card. Oh, yes. that is my favorite business card I've ever I seen. I want business cards like that. That is fantastic. I, I love that. <laughs> it's it's it looks like a. For those of you who can't see at home, because of course you can't, because we're on a podcast. Yes. It looks like a dongle that you would put on a uh, keychain. And uh, think about the. Uh, I don't know the title for this box, but in the. 60s through the 80s, most Marvel mm-hmm. comics had a rectangle in the upper left-hand corner. With, yes, with, with little Yes, with little uh, character head yes. sketches of one to six of the characters, usually two and to four of them. And that's what they've done. And they're sketched in yeah. that style. And that's yeah. brilliant. And speaking of comics, that's fantastic. I've got two. Well, I've got two more podcasts. One of them is comic book related. It is called the Bat Pod. The Bat Pod. Yes, I love that. It's uh, Twitter at PodBat. And you can also reach them at pod, pod, uh, batpodpodcast at gmail.com. That's a bit of a mouthful. And finally, we have WSTR Galactic Public Access, a Star Wars podcast. And they're at WSTR Media. Very fine business cards all around. There. Yeah, I love those. I love those. And I love the fact that I got rid of so many of ours as too. Oh, and I forgot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot. Backstage Gaming. They're a local podcast here in Chicago, and you can find them at BSG underscore cast. And what they do is they talk about narrative and gaming, Hmm. which is really interesting. Oh, yeah. Really interesting. 
Anyway, now that I've wasted enough of your time... The doctoral um, thesis lurking in there yeah. if anyone wants to take it in that direction. I think so, too. We also have our Goodreads discussion group where you, the listener, can listen to upcoming books, uh, can discuss upcoming books, previous podcasts. Find them at tinyurl.com forward slash Y7KMASPR. In fact, we expect you to. I'm going to make that into a jingle for you just so it's easier to say. Ooh. How would we do that? I don't know. Y7K-M-A-S-P-R. Yeah, we could do that. But, you should do mm, the Empire Carpet Act. I did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which turned up in the El Chapo trial. Did you read this? Yes, I Yeah, know. so they were testing out the, the yes. new cell phones. They were called the Insider number. Insanity, <laughs> and yes, they did. So, we continue now. <laughs> we continue now with the first John Pertwee story. The novelization of... A story called Spearhead from Space, but it's not called that. It is called Doctor Who and the Auton Invasion. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who and the Auton Invasion, adapted by Terrence Dix from the script by Robert Holmes, called Spearhead from Space, that aired from 1370 to 12470, published by Target Books in January 1974. As of this recording in March 2019, this title is currently in print as a facsimile edition from BBC Books, 156 pages. So used to saying they're out of print. I really am <laughs> used to saying that they're out of print. But of course, BBC Books a few years back did facsimile editions of those first three 60s books. But they also did some of the later ones, including Abominable Snowmen. I, I think I mentioned that when we did it. I hope I did. And of the two versions we have, which one have they reprinted? Um, yes, well... I guess the interior is not different, the but you, reprint. You, you showed us two different yes, sets of covers. Yes, two different covers. Yeah. Uh, the reprint has the same cover as the one that I gave you in PDF. The print copy that we have in front of us is the reissue from 1983, I believe, which is why it's got the um, Neon Tube logo, and it's why it's got this gigantic auton above the earth, but no actual picture of the Doctor in it. It's just happy to see you. Yeah, I think so. It is pretty gigantic. All right. Earth is really in the foreground, and Earth is really in the background. That could be it. That could be it. We're on a spaceship, and it's itty bitty tiny because, well, it's it's not itty bitty tiny though. Yeah. All right. A little bit of background about this story. This truly is a story of firsts, much like the previous one. It's the first story shot in color, obviously. The first one to air in the 1970s. It's the first time the method of shooting two episodes per production block every two weeks became the standard rather than just an experiment. It's the first time and the last until at least 1996 that a story would be shot all on film mm. due to a strike at the BBC that caused them not be able to, to be able to use the studios there. Huh. And it worked out pretty well. It's so, for, so why there so much of the story set outdoors? Partially. Partially. I think the script would have been basically the same, but then we would have got the outdoor shots all on film, but then everything interior would be studio-bound, mm-hmm. as it was with every other story. It's the first time a producer for the show has had a cameo. Outgoing producer Derek Sherwin, who started his career as an actor, appears as the eunuch missionary, taking the part when the original actor proved unsuitable. That's what you do as a producer. All right, you're not cutting it. Yeah, you're not cutting it. I'll take this part. I'm going to do it. For quality control. That's the only reason. Nobody else can do it like I do. It's also the first season to have so few actual stories. There are only four in Pertwee's first season. Wow. Really? Four. This is a four-parter, and we get three (sighs) seven-parters. 
Yeah. So is it a smaller number of episodes? The previous season had, oh God, I'm sure someone could correct me on this. It's either 36 or 45. 44, actually. So they were still doing it for most of the year. But they took up Trout's suggestion and said, yeah, we should do it only half a year, except Trout was already gone by then. You know, so he didn't get to enjoy it. But 26 or thereabouts. What was public reaction to such long stories? Do people like it or find it arduous? Or Well, tell you what. Let's talk about that when we get to the okay. first one, which is the next one. The next one. Because it's interesting. It depends on the quality of the story. Because they've seen long stories before, right? They had the invasion the previous yeah. season with Zoe and the Cybermen. Yeah. Um, so they're used to that, and they had that fucking 12-part Dalek story mm-hmm. just two years before. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's something that they wouldn't do again. And we don't get a season this short again until the McCoy era, where you have four seasons, or you have four story seasons and three-episode stories. Mm. And it's the shortest seasons you ever have. So what... What influence led to those shorter seasons with the budget? Lack or? of budget. Hmm. That's exactly it, which is why they only lasted for three years before it got canceled. Put on a hiatus and then never brought back, basically. Yeah, it's hard to be- imagine that now with the juggernaut it's become. It's the first story with the Autons, who we will see again. And then we will see them again in 2005 with the first story of the uh, new series, the first Eccleston story arose. Mm-hmm. It's the very first original Target novelization because, of course, before this, the reprints were Doctor Who and the Daleks, uh, Doctor Who and the Zarbi, and Doctor Who and the Crusades, Crusaders. I always keep getting the titles wrong. This is the first actual Target book. And thus, the first Doctor Who book that Terence Dix ever wrote which is why the quality is so Ah, mm-hmm. he's still very interested. He's yes. excited. He is, much, he is more interested and excited in this book than probably we will mm. ever see him again until he writes and his we own stuff. we long since read his last one, right? Yeah, yeah. and we saw and that he, he found so weary. Yeah. yeah, and he, well, understandably so. He wrote, like, what, 80 of these things. Yeah. It's also one of the few novelizations translated into other languages, in this case, Japanese, Portuguese, and Finnish. Huh. And I have copies of the uh, It's hardly like covers. the standard list there. But it really mm-hmm. is. It's kind of weird, especially since you look at the covers and you think, what were they telling the artists? Because the Japanese cover looks like something from The Grudge. Hmm. It depicts a Japanese kind of schoolgirl-aged auton with no arms. But an arm on the floor crawling beside yes. her... That's pretty dark compared to what we've seen before. Would that be from 74? Creepy. Um, That would have been, uh, the Japanese books were done in the 80s. So, yeah, that's creepy as hell. Nothing like that happens in this story. Um, Something kind of like it happens in the second story, but we'll get there when we get there. Uh, the other cover that's kind of weird to look at is the uh, Finnish one, because apparently they did not know what the Autons looked like at all, and all they heard was, globe, plastic people, this is what we get. How very contemplative. That's the Finnish? Yes, that's the Finnish version. Okay. It looks like a Russian edition of something by Kafka. 
Well, have you ever seen the uh, Soviet posters for the Star Wars yes. movies that have nothing whatsoever yes. to do it's with the like story? Yes. It's, it's an illustration by a person who has no familiarity with the story at all. Exactly. Just and I think that's idea. precisely it. And that's why I've never had a copy of that book because it's, well, it's rare for one thing. For another, it's, uh, and where is the other copy? I'm trying to find it. The Portuguese version has a much better take on the, uh, oh, there it is. I love this cover. <laughs> it's the nesting in talent mm. consciousness, but it's uh, menacing his car. The rolls. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of adore that. I, like I that. wish I had an actual print copy of that. So there we are. Last but not least... I know we're still doing the background, so forgive us, readers. We're uh, we're enjoying being our 50th um, episode, which is why we're drinking beer tonight rather than mm-hmm. anything harder. Uh, it is the first story to feature the third Doctor is made by John Pertwee. John Pertwee was born in 1919 into a family described as theatrical, so it made sense that apart from a six-year stint in the Good Royal Navy... Good at theater or just melodramatic in life? Well, in both ways, yeah. They, they all performed, basically. Um, apart from a six-year stint in the Royal Navy during World War II, he'd go into acting. He attended RADA, but not for long. He was expelled for refusing to play a wind during an acting exercise. Refusing to play a wind. A, a wind. He, he said that he felt it was a waste of time and a waste of his father's money. <laughs> But he was on his way out anyway because he was already in trouble for writing graffiti about the tutors on uh, about the school on the bathroom walls. Like about the teachers or like about Henry VIII? Yeah, well, no, about the teachers. <laughs> oh, not the, not, the, not, not the, the two doors. Not the two doors. <laughs> the two tours. The two tours. The two tours. What a badass. You maniac, you know. I can't hear whether it's a T or a D. I'm sorry. You, you maniac, you. Yes, no. Not the two doors, the two tours. Anyway, this tells us two things about Pertwee's personality and tells us a lot more about Allison's. It was very forceful, and he had a gift for comedy. He ended up doing 18 years in the part of Chief Petty Officer Pertwee, along with three other roles in the radio comedy series The Navy Lark, hmm. at the oh. same time he's doing Doctor Who, as a matter of fact, as well as doing various comedic roles in films, television, on stage through the four, late 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, if you've ever seen the 60s uh, show The Avengers, mm-hmm. he, he's got a role on that, and it's a comedic yeah. role. It's just bizarre. By the time his agent asked the producers to consider him for the next Doctor, Pertwee's reputation as comedic actor was well established, so neither he nor his agent should have been surprised that he was already on their shortlist. The thing that would come to surprise everybody about Pertwee is that, despite the comedy in this first story and some comedic touches here and there throughout his run, he plays the Doctor absolutely seriously. Really? Yeah. He hmm. once said that he didn't know how to play a role like this, and when someone told him he should simply play it as himself, he responded that was even worse because he didn't know how to play that either. Hmm, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but it is, it's amazing that he's very different from Troughton in that way. He went on to become, at the time of his departure, the longest-running doctor, with five full seasons under his belt. Then Tom Baker came along and blew him out of the water. He then went on to another children's show, Warzel Gummidge, in which he played a scarecrow to even more acclaim, and he died at the age of 77 in 1996 while doing a convention in America. We're sorry we killed you, sir. Yeah, we, we're sorry the fans killed you and Troughton, but, um, yeah. 
there's there's a story behind there, but I can't even go into it on the podcast to be to be fair. I'll tell you after. <laughs> I don't want us getting sued. We'll have that to be afraid of. Yeah. Well, it's a rumor anyway. So oh. this is also a Robert Holmes story, and luckily it's the sort of home story we can come to expect from now on. In other words, the space pirates <laughs> is long behind us. We're in the clear. We're in the clear now. <laughs> So I know that was a long prologue to everything. We're now 20 minutes in. I apologize. I also must apologize for the fact that after all that talk about the two editions, we never read the back cover. So without further ado, here's the back cover of the book. A mysterious shower of meteorites lands in Essex, and Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart of Enid has reason to believe that they have been deliberately aimed at the Earth's surface. The Doctor joins forces with the Brigadier and Liz Shaw in a desperate bid to prevent the nightmarish invasion of the sinister Autons. Living models of human beings, like waxwork dummies, their murderous behavior is controlled and directed by the nesting consciousness, a malignant squid-like monster of cosmic proportions and indescribably hideous appearance. First impressions, what did you think when you first saw that cover, that beast, that Idi Amin, or whatever you called the Brigadier? <laughs> I thought he looked like young Momar Gaddafi, but that's just the headgear, and then I thought maybe he looked like young uh, Bill Gemmer Nassar of Egypt, and I guess I went through various North African <laughs> military rulers, because as I was telling Tony... Um, I, as a modern viewer, only know the Brigadier as an old man. So I've That's read true. other novelizations mm-hmm. with the Brigadier in them, but I've seen maybe a brief screenshot, I don't recall, of the actual, I mean, of, the, of the actor at that time. Yeah, I'm trying to think what you would have seen him. So I don't recognize him yeah, right away. I'm wondering what you would have seen him in, because I don't think I ever showed you the Sarah Jane Adventures, and he appeared in that. He didn't appear in Modern Doctor Who. So maybe it was that? I don't know. Not sure. I know I have a photo of him taken at a convention not long before he died, but... But it's a very different image than you showed us on the 1983 reprint, which is much more um, psychologically anatomical. And this one in the illustration of the book made me think more of the uh, creature in... um, and Watchmen. Yeah. The oh god, yeah. Bracingly gynecological squid cre- yes. genital creature and yeah. Yeah, this is so I'm curious. But whereas the the cover we saw from seventy four is much more octopus like, so I was yeah. curious yeah. as to what we this saw is, on the screen in the episode. This is much more cephalopornographic. That's for sure. <laughs> cephalopornographic. Oh goodness, you've got I a try. Co- you've got to copyright that. That's <laughs> such. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, I try. <laughs> the beer is helping. Yes. Um, what we see on screen, to be honest, is just embarrassing. Yeah. I, I, I can't even... And not because it's anatomical. So, and not because it's anatomical. <laughs> I mean, they're doing it on film, which you think would help. No. Some if weird anything, puppet? Well, kind of, yeah, because you've got it in its thing, and you can see its eye in this little view report, but then... Suddenly, when Pertwee's try- oh, the doctor is trying to attack it with the you know, sonic whatever it is, the tentacles come out of the top of the tank and start wrapping around his throat, and you get this lovely close-up of Pertwee doing this kind of cross-eyed <laughs> com- comedic being choked to death acting because he couldn't quite put his comedic stuff apart. And it's just, you, ha- you have to laugh. 
And you don't laugh when you're reading it because the goddamn thing comes out of the tank and starts mm-hmm. lumbering towards them, which is terrifying. Especially if it was that. Yeah, having your own imagination to to amplify the creepiness of this thing would, yeah. Yeah, because that thing definitely has a vulva. <laughs> I think. Well, and on <laughs> now I realize it's supposed to be an eye, but that's not how I interpreted it. Oh, the is first that? Time. <laughs> If I'd only know it's an eye from reading the book, I would Girl, have gone more, hole. more, of, an, more yeah. of an orifice, I would say. Have, have you ever seen that meme? A long, hard day at the orifice. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, have means, you ever seen that meme? You'll have to be more specific than that. From, from the, <laughs> of the magic school bus? Mm-mm. Oh my god, it's hilarious because they're taking they're taking a trip through the human digestive body. Tract, mm-hmm. Yeah, the digestive tract. And they overdub the, the, the uh, black school girl's um, line with, Girl, that's booty hole. What's that? Girl, that's a booty hole. Not a hole, Keisha. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. And you're learning like about human do. anatomy. Yes, yeah, so. exactly. So obviously we're impressed by the uh, nesting whatever it is on Pete mm-hmm. <laughs> and on the cover. What did you think you were getting? I mean, you knew there was a new doctor coming. Mm-hmm. And you knew that, you know, well, that's about all I told you, isn't it? New Doctor, and we knew that going forward, the Doctor was going to be kind of uh, marooned on Earth yes. by the, the other Time Lords as kind of penance for meddling mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> in time and space. Exactly. Um, a lot more action-oriented, mm-hmm. or at least with with the military being, being a big mm-hmm. part of it, yeah. it definitely felt more kind of in an action vein than the sci-fi. Oh, yeah. Um, even though we are dealing with an alien invasion, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's just there's just a lot of kind of new stuff going on. We don't have our old companions. We don't we don't really have our bearings with what we're okay. kind of like as we've been. It's like oh, the doctors even even from this first doctor to the second, it was very much just like continuation. The doctor is yeah. going to a new planet, new time, whatever. Mm-hmm. He will figure stuff out, but. But this one, we, we kind of have a backstory to go on for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things that are really kind of affecting where and what the Doctor will be doing. Right. Um, because as opposed to... <laughs> like, like, he finds out. Like, he just he just wants to leave. He's just yeah. like, okay, I don't want to deal with this. So well, God, I hold this. And even tricks Liz into giving him the key. Yeah. And he can't. He can't leave. He can't just escape yeah. from it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of interesting to come into with him, him kind of not wanting to deal with it, mm-hmm. but then having having to. to deal with it. Yeah, it's weird because you get the sense of the third Doctor, unlike the second Doctor. You remember JG's um, theory that the second Doctor is like, I'm here to fight the monsters. Mm-hmm. And the third Doctor regenerates and says, isn't there more to life than fighting monsters? But mm-hmm. he's forced into a situation where he has to. Yeah. And he makes the best of it. But, um, yeah, he also spends a lot of this story in bed, but it doesn't feel like he spends as much of it in bed on the page as he does on screen because we don't see him in his costume until the second episode. Yeah. Was there, with with the filming, was there an issue with timing? Or was it, was as, as we've seen in the past, where there's... Mm-hmm. there's gaps with the doctor is was there something going on with no. they didn't have the person or From was it now on like... we will never have an actor not be there because of vacations okay with this new production schedule it's just not possible 
Um, because they wouldn't release them in the middle of recording, they'd have to release them for two episodes, not just one. Yeah. And for another thing, they can just give them regular vacations because they're they're only shooting half the year. Okay. So yeah. time wise, sort of that more punishing sense. soap opera yeah. schedule you were telling us about. Yeah, exactly. So we don't have, you know, a shot of the doctor's bound feet going back and forth for a whole episode, <laughs> or a stand-in for the doctor collapsing and doing a heart and a like. Ah, ah. Yeah. Yeah, we're <laughs> never going to get that again, which is just fabulous, to be honest, just fabulous. Um, I'm trying to think what I was going to say. That, those, the opening of this book is unusual. Kind of the covering, covering what we've already seen with the, with the trial and. Yeah. And it's interesting because we have seen that same scene written by both of the writers who wrote it. (laughs) And they focus on different Hmm. parts of it. I thought it was appropriate, especially since you were talking about it being translated in other languages. Yeah, it, and that's the first one. It makes a lot of sense that people would say, oh, I'll pick up the book with the, the first story from this doctor. Right. And it should have a good orientation to what's yes. going on. And I've been meaning to check the uh, publication date on this. In fact, I should have done this before we started recording. But the publication date for this book is 19... What did I say? It was 74. 74. Yeah. Which is not, I mean, aired in 70. It aired in 70. 74. Yeah, yeah it's aired pretty in close together relative to the ones we've read. It is, but that also means that by the time this book gets published, a new doctor is about to take over. So you got that weird kind of feeling of we need to remind our audience that the doctor regenerates. Yeah. That there have been previous ones. I mean, deference to our colleagues who do the first issue podcast, it makes sense that an editor would decide that we should make this a good jumping on point. This feels like a first issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does. And God, is it ever. And it's a very, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The other way it differs from the televised version is that, what's his name? Sam? Is that the Mm -hmm. uh, poacher? Mm -hmm. Sam gets to see the doctor collapse out of the TARDIS. And he gets to see something we don't, not very well, that he's still wearing Troughton's clothes yes. and they don't fit. <laughs> That's oh, such yeah, a good, yeah. Yeah. good detail. We don't get that on screen. He has longer arms and legs. Yeah. yeah, we get him falling out of the TARDIS, but we don't see what he's wearing because it is something that Pertwee can wear. Yeah. And then after that, we see him just in the hospital robe, and then we see the new costume, the which new. is just beautiful. Yes. Sounds like he's going to prom. Yeah. Does he acquire it in the same way? <coughs> he does. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He goes through other people's lockers and uh, finds Just it. And, picks and chooses. But he doesn't find the uh, weird hat that they say that he's got in here. He finds a Trilby hat, okay. which goes with the mm. ensemble, but he never wears it again. <laughs> it's not a fedora, it's a Trilby. It's a Trilby. <laughs> oh, it's a gorgeous hat, but for some reason they decide, yeah, hats, nah, who needs a hat? But then Tom Baker's doctor wears one all the time. And it works with the outfit. And Matt Smith had a fez. He had a fez because fezes are cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where do we want to start here? Because there is a lot to get through. Mm. Do we want to start with the new companion? Or the new doctor? Or the Brig, who's very different than we've seen him before in some ways? So is Liz going to be considered the companion? She is the companion for the next four stories. Okay. I thought with both Brigadier and with Liz as a companion, we saw much closer to an equitable relationship than we've seen 
previous doctors have with humans. Yeah. We saw Hartnell be much more condescending with all his companions. Even when the writer shows a companion being very smart. You know, so it's a regular tick that yes. Hartnell says something very condescending mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. smacks them back down and cuts them down. And then, uh, once again, my impressions of Troughton being almost entirely from the page, he seems much more head on a cloud, yeah. almost hardly noticing his companions. Exactly. Not being condescending, but he's not really interacting with them comparatively all that much or something. Right. So it was actually, I thought, very pleasant to have him have a more equitable relationship with oh, Liz yeah. and the Brigadier mm-hmm. than we've seen before. Absolutely. Pertly would end up disagreeing with you, okay. as it turns out, but we'll get to that okay. later. Um, we'll get to that in three episodes, as it turns out. Well, four. But, yeah, we'll get to that by the end of the season already. But on screen, you're right, the dynamic is just... We're not used to seeing the doctor thinking that he, the humans he meets are reasonably intelligent yeah. and capable. Mm. Exactly. The way he seems to assume right away that the Brigadier and Liz seem to know what they're doing. and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He kind of joins them in what they're doing as well. Right. That even when he fools Liz, he has to be very uh, he has to be very intelligent about it. He has to say, well, I've got this device that you've never heard of. It's in the TARDIS. I can go get it if you give me the key. Oh, sure. And, and he's kind of a little sorry about it he instead is. of just smarmy. Yeah. And to her and her, her to her credit, she's she's pissed about it. This is also a companion who's willing to stand up to him. Yeah. But I mean, even even that excuse, reading it, I was like, well, that makes. I, I didn't see him trying to run away. Right. I could I could see him saying, I have some some things on my TARDIS that can help us test yeah. for whatever because I'm a space alien that's from another time. Yeah, it doesn't read deceptive on the page. No, does it? it it reads totally genuine. Yeah. And then when he double crosses her, I was like. What? What? <laughs> he what? really is gonna you leave? You asshole! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, He's gonna leave? But, but a sympathetic asshole. Girl, that's a booty hole. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. But it it seems, uh, <laughs> like I was saying, it seems kind of uncharacteristic for the doctor to want to run away from problems. Uncharacteristic whatever. of the doctor as we've known him. Yes. Well, yeah, yes. This one is... He doesn't... Uh, I didn't take I, it as running away from problems. So I don't know what's going on here, but I've got to go regroup. And mm-hmm. these people, it seems to be in good hands with them. But he's never had a problem with that in the past. He's never no. had a problem with just jumping right in and other people's this is true. Uh, problems and fiddling with whatever's Except going on. Except that was by choice. Here he's being forced to. Hmm. This is part of his prison sentence, basically. Well, I mean, the Time Lords have said... Earth is of a particular, particularly threatened by aliens at this point in time, for the very good reason that the brigadier gives Liz. We've sent probes yeah, into the ether. We've sent satellites up. We've drawn attention to ourselves, yeah. which is a line that gets echoed directly in the Christmas invasion by the Doctor himself, mm-hmm. before Harry Jones blows the fuckers out of the sky. Why is Earth any more likely to be attacked now than during the last 50,000 years? In the last decade, we've been sending probes deeper and deeper into space. We've drawn attention to ourselves, Miss Shaw. Are there many more out there? Oh, not just Sycorax. Hundreds of species. Thousands of them. And the human race is drawing attention to itself. Every day, you're sending out probes messages and signals this planet so noisy you're getting noticed more and more you better get used to it 
Yeah. But I guess in the past, though, if he was ever put into a situation... I mean, yes, there were tons of stories where the TARDIS wasn't acting correctly or they immediately get caught, mm-hmm. prisoner or whatever. But he, he always was trying to figure out the issue at hand instead of just being like, oh, hey, I have this TARDIS that I can literally go to any point in space and time and yeah. just do whatever I want. There were plenty of stories where he could have just turned right around and he could have. disappeared. Well, that's the big difference. This is more and of so, a reluctant hero. Yeah, and so that... But again, this is our this is our first interaction with this first or this reincarnation of the doctor so yeah. it's like yeah we don't we don't know how he is yet really exactly so. in fact i cannot remember if this line is on the page do you remember when he finally comes to unit headquarters and the brigadier says something along the lines of well how do i know you're not an imposter on screen he says ah but you don't do you you don't mm-hmm. i know yeah. You don't. Yeah, he says that. Yeah, and you're like Only I know. Why would you why would you bait the bear that way? I mean wow. And yet he does that quite constantly. In fact there are a couple moments where I actively just want to punch the Pertwee Doctor in the face <laughs> because it's like, I know you're doing this to keep the story going. But by the same token it would be much easier if you would just be more direct. And say, I remember this about the cyber invasion. I remember this about the uh, the Yeti. You remember Zoe. You remember Jamie. He doesn't mention either of them. Yeah, well, Actually, he does here. But. I was less clear on how much he remembered at the very beginning and how much he was sort of groggy and disoriented. Well, more on the page. He knows a lot more on the page because he mentions the Yeti and the cyber invasion. Mm-hmm. He does not do that on the screen, which is why the Brigadier is able to think that he's an imposter for so much longer okay it takes him a lot longer to to accept him as the doctor it's only when he finds the tardis that he really does so there's that yeah he's uh he's a mischievous fellow this third doctor Mm -hmm. but mischievous in a very different way than the second doctor is more like if you're thinking about the tarot deck the trouton doctor is more like the fool piping on mm-hmm. his pipes yeah. as he's falling off a cliff. Yes. Whereas the third doctor is more like oh. Depending on the day, he's either the magician or the hierophant. Hmm. I know you, people have had to look that up. I'm not even going to bother discussing Tony is educated. <laughs> no. I've just had way too much beer. He's a <laughs> And I've had a very good day, so there yeah. we go. Ooh. So what else about him? Or about anything? You know how weary I became of bases under siege, and particularly uh, corridor chases? Yes. The last one. Uh, I really enjoyed the old man uh, racing downhill in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a delightful action piece, being chased by a van. <laughs> no, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not kidding when I say, you know, we got outdoors a lot more in this, and it did yeah. have, even we have, though we haven't actually seen these episodes, or I haven't seen these episodes, a much different feel than the... The, the Troughton episodes oh, yeah. had. And it was actually a very nice change of pace and mm-hmm. different set pieces and, and a lot of fun, I thought. In fact, you said that you've seen the 60s Avengers. Mm-hmm. This story has been compared to the 60s mm-hmm. Avengers because it looks yes. like it, it feels like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got that, it's almost like a spy thriller but with aliens. I thought yeah, it would be a more... that's what it felt like. I thought it would be a more perfunctionary story. It would be much more about him sort of coming to and mm-hmm. figuring out what's going on and meeting whoever the new companion or companions right. will be. So it was a much bigger story than I expected. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Much much broader canvas. Mm-hmm. 
That's good to hear because, yeah, it's rare for a first doctor, uh, doctor's first story to be quite this. It has a lot to do, actually, come to think of it, because I wasn't kidding when I said it's a story of firsts. Mm-hmm. It's got to sell a public that's been used to watching a show for six years of black and white and kind of shoddily produced episodes with suddenly it's on film. Oh, are we in color now? We're in color. Oh, oh you missed that. Yeah, yeah. I we're, missed we're in color. That. We're in glorious. Well, it's not technicolor and it's not all that glorious. But it's color. But it's color, damn yeah, it. Yeah, it's color, damn it. But remember, mean, the only ones I've seen are in black and white. So, oh. But I figured out with the TV that was black and white. Ah, yes. Well, at some point, I'll have to show you both the story. I've got it on Blu-ray because oh. it, for the longest time, it's the only one that could be released on Blu-ray because it was done on film. Mm. And it looks beautiful on Blu-ray. You can see every wrinkle. It definitely feels <laughs> like we're moving into a more modern era yeah, of yeah. storytelling. Mm-hmm. Especially when we get Liz. Because she's, as you said, she seems more like an equal to the Doctor, and she's a very different type of companion. We're used to authority figures being more dickish than this as well, and mm-hmm. the Brigadier is also much more sympathetic than yeah. we're used to seeing the military big shot being in these stories. I mean, we've seen him before, but he yeah. seems like he was much more thinly painted before. Yeah, which is weird, because each time we read him before, he was, uh, he was done by dicks, wasn't he? The Web of Fear was written by Terrence Davis, and he, you know, gave away that the Brigadier, or the Colonel, was not being controlled by the Great Intelligence, which is fine, because we all knew it. And then when we read, um, no, 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 when we read The Invasion, it was written by Ian Martyr, who should have known better, because he knew Nicholas Courtney personally. Yeah, Terrence Dix, especially early on, and these early, this early version of the Brigadier is possibly one of the best versions of the Brigadier until we get him again in the anniversary stories. Because you'll see what happens. I'm not even going to try to give it away, but it's not going to happen this season, but it will happen. And you'll, you'll notice it when it happens, and then you'll say, what the fuck? There's Terrence Dick's weird wokeness that comes and goes of being... Really sexist and then really insightful in yes. ways that alternate from novel to novel. Oh, so no. yeah. he seems to have more interior dialogue in this novel than we've seen in some of his others. Much more. So it, it, we have a, a sequence here where Liz is going through this whole thought process of, on the one hand, this seems very strange and offbeat. On the other hand, this is a great adventure and I can use all these things I know in a meaningful way. And she decides. And so she says, you know, come on then, Brigadier. What are we waiting for? And then the Brigadier, like, roll his eyes and, you know, he'll never understand women. But it's obviously, we, we have Liz's perspective instead. Yes. She's had a whole thought, heroic thought process mm-hmm. here that's more insightful than we're used to from Dix. Yeah. But I expect the next one we read, he'll be like, dames. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like that. Well, and there's, that, that, would be <laughs> yeah. there's that scene with, uh, I, I think it was the, was it the general? or yeah, Someone, someone says Sophie. something calls her girl or something. Nice to have a nice pretty girl around Yeah, the and there's that description of oh. her like giving him this look and just being like What's your problem? I don't have time yes. to deal with you right now, yes, so yes. I'm just gonna ignore that you said that. And then she yeah. cuts it back at him by saying, oh, well didn't you know, General, that's a that's a spaceship in disguise. Yeah. I'm talking about the target. Is the response to being like, er? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you do have that and it's weird to see this weird kind of bouncing back and forth. It's almost as if the show is aware that it's being sexist and it's kind of making fun of the sexism. 
It's it's very 1970 though. Yeah, I mean, you've got in a lot of genre fiction and even journalism pieces oh, you read from that yeah. era. A lot of sort of bouncing back and forth between the mid-century and the late mm-hmm. 20th century in terms of consciousness. So, yeah, and I'm glad that you yeah. described his uh, way of thinking as woke. For 1970, he was. For 1970, yeah. a heavy qualifier. But, yeah, he really well, was. But it's significant not to be taken for granted that he take, he gives her internal dialogue yes. and then the brigadier's sort of dashed off response. But the brigadier is not just some oafish character here. He's sympathetic right. a lot of the time. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Usually one of them would be like the idiot or the villain or the shallow character, and either one is here. Right, and that isn't the case. And I, I do love the fact that they do have that clash, but it's because they're literally from different worlds. And of mm-hmm. course they're going to have that clash, and it's going to mm-hmm. continue throughout their relationship. But, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great characterization, and he does spend a lot of time, not just in her head, but in every character's head. Yeah. yeah, I'm I don't struck. remember this in the previous Dick's novelizations no, we've read. Because he got, I think, well, here's the thing. The ones that we have read, we've seen glimpses of it. We've seen minor people who are minor characters on the screen given names mm-hmm. and given motivations. Yeah. We have seen True. that. We haven't seen anything nearly so fleshed out as that poor unit guy who's just driving the sphere back to London. Yeah. Who's like, oh, I can get off early tonight and I can go dancing. This will be great. And then he gets killed horribly. On screen, we don't know his name. He gets killed horribly. It's the first time in Doctor Who history we ever see blood on screen. And the last time we see it quite that red. Um, But we don't know the guys. We don't know it. Here, we've got a backstory for the guy, and it's like, whoa, this is what Dix does when he's got the time, and he's not being hampered by a page count. It feels a little like he's being, less like he's being paid by the yard than it has in previous ones. That's exactly it. This is more, I wouldn't go so far as to say a labor of love, but it's certainly a labor of very strong light. He's engaged. Yeah, Yeah. he's engaged. Yeah, he's taking his time with it and really kind of flushing out where he can. And he does a lot of it. Well, he even has more um, liveliness than I expected with, I'm blanking on his name now, but the, the, the R&D guy who's been on the business trip to the U.S. Oh, to Ransom. set up distribution and production oh, deals for the yeah. doll and how he, how personally he takes it when it's shut down. It's not just the money, but yeah. this is his baby, this project. Literally, and, because it's baby doll. <laughs> well, yeah, but this is his friend and they work together on the launch and it's not just, he kind of makes it out like it's the money, but he's actually personally hurt and offended because he's yeah. all this effort into it. I wonder if that was a lot more than was on the screen. Much more. I mean, you still kind of get it because <laughs> obviously um, Hibbert is it Hibbert? The mm-hmm. name of the mm-hmm. and Ransom and Ransom, and then Channing is the Auton who's the taken them over. Um, but Hibbert on the screen is a lot more is obviously sympathetic because you realize he's under this control and is being forced to kick his friend out. But the f- sense of betrayal is much stronger on yeah. this page, much more, much more, especially since. We don't get any of that lovely uh, doll factory footage that we do <laughs> in the original. Of creepy. Good horrifying. sense of the, pre- of the creepy, yeah. Just reading about, no. Horrifying no. to see these, you know, baby doll figures and seeing their eyes being punched in by, uh, you know, middle-aged women, basically. And But you don't get that because by the time Ransom comes back to this factory, it's already been automated. converted and automated and yeah. all that. 
So there's that, but the description of the doll that he's created is somewhere between Teddy Ruxpin and Satan. It's like, Mommy, Mommy, I'm tired. Mommy, Mommy, give me sweets. It's like, ugh, shut the fuck up. And it can walk on its own. And it can walk on its own. It did sound like a really unappealing toy. Yeah. A a doll that whines at you greedily. (laughs) Yes, and comes walking after you. And I know why he did it, but I can't tell you why yet. Well, aren't you a tease? I am a tease, but I know exactly why he did this. I just realized. Just remind me in like five or six episodes. Will from someone now. come kill you if you say it on the internet? Well, no, but it's kind of a. Uh, all right. You, you twisted you your arm. It, you beat it out of me. Yes. There is such people. a doll in the Auton and, and the next one, Terror of the Autons. There mm. is such a doll. And it got severe viewer backlash Hmm. because parents were like oh my god my child can't sleep now with their doll Hmm. because they're afraid it's going to come to life and kill them (laughs) and it's not even a baby doll that Mm -hmm. does this with they made it the most disgusting ugly thing as possible because troll dolls were kind of coming into Hmm. the for them and it still gave kids nightmares fair enough yeah as did the scene in the story with the mannequins coming out of the uh, windows. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, though it's not as extensive on the screen as it is on the page. There's like, there's like, countrywide horror yeah, going on there. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> no fingernails in. was a good detail. No What's wrong with them? They're, they don't have any fingernails. Yes, and their faces look lumpy, lumpy yeah. as if they're unfinished. It's like, yeah. That's exactly what an autumn looks like. Yeah. It's a brilliant description of one. Yeah, I just pictured, like, mannequins with, like, the impression of a nose and, like, eye sockets. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, the new series did them a lot better than the old series did, to be honest, but it still works. Yeah. That's, That's a horrifying image, the idea of a mannequin in a store coming to life. I mean, Twilight Zone, obviously mind that territory long before yeah but then it did it not for horrific means it's kind of a weird story that one or, do you know the one i'm talking about the after hours by R- richard matheson no i'm thinking of today's special the canadian children's educational tv show where <laughs> about a department store after dark i love that show oh where there's a mannequin who comes to life yes. there's also a rat that lives in the store I and some hate, other people oh i hated that show yeah, yeah, and I was the right age for it. Yeah, I thought it was you delightful. Were. And the mannequin, you know, teaches you about spelling and healthy food. And True, stuff, yeah. which is weird because what else would you do after hours? I would not trust store? that mannequin. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I mean, where are they learning this shit? Um, it's Canadian. It's I was friendly. just thinking That's about this true. today because I was thinking about the evolution of Canadian television and how specifically Canadian comedy has just gotten amazing. You've got shows like Trailer Park Boys, and you've got another one called Letterkenny. And they are the funniest shit I think I've watched since Monty Python. And yet they're traditional sitcoms in their own way. Uh, almost like The Office in the case of Trailer Park Boys. And I remember Canadian television around the time of Today's Special and other shows like Seeing Things that were just abysmal compared to American Fair at the same time. Mm. So it's hard to believe that it's evolved that that much but it has anyway back to what television was like in the 1970s yeah what else do we want to talk about because jesus god 
great windshield wiper of the mind has actually erased for me the transition from Hartnell to Troughton. A vague concept really? of he dissolves in a ball of light, he wakes up as someone else who kind of looks down and his pants are checked now and then there are new people. It's much more involved with that, but I don't remember it being quite so momentous. As the this. clothes regenerated, that's right. In fact, doesn't Dick make, Dick's make reference to that? I think He's so, like, yeah. Oh, didn't the clothes regenerate? Right. <laughs> right. Didn't Why didn't they change the clothes? He actually remembered that. But this seems a much more modern psychology. Yeah, it does. Than we saw last time. Yeah, because they didn't quite know when they recast Hartnell what they were doing. They literally didn't know. They were just like, oh, it's... And this is something John Peel, and it's something... I'm sorry, John, I still disagree with you on this. I'll even tell you next week to your face if you want me to. Actually, I won't, because we found out the day after this was recorded that Regeneration 5 has been cancelled. So the special live episode we promised you won't be happening. But John Peel believes, because they say it on screen, that the Troughton Doctor is a rejuvenation of the Hartnell Doctor, that he is the Hartnell Doctor but 400 years younger. Ah. It's the same person. Okay. There's no way in hell it could be. Okay. Because it just isn't. <laughs> I mean, and even that puts them side by side, yeah. sure. In that regeneration sequence, the, the the visual that we still have, they look like when they're lying down with their face, uh, with their eyes closed. But that's about where it ends. They're not similar mm. characters at all. Mm. Otherwise, Ben and Polly would have had a much easier time accepting them. Yeah. And they don't. They don't even do that in John's book of it. That's part of the uh, that's part of the drama of the whole thing, that the Daleks recognize them before they do. But yeah, it, it it's better understood now, by this point that it's kind like, of oh, this what is, he is and how it works. Yeah. It's kind time of lord biology. His his body is completely different, and they have forced this change upon him, so it's something they can do. That's a much more modern. TV scenario where the medical staff is, you know, they're all accusing each other of playing pranks. <laughs> yes. Uh, who was our uh, excellent guest last time who sang, I wish they all could be Caledonian boys? J.G. McCory. Well, we've got a, a mad scientist doctor in here. Yes. <laughs> Quite the eccentric. Is what who wants to has. exploratory surgery. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. He might even be... Uh, could you maybe call him a vivisectionist yes. more than a surgeon? Yes, there's every bit. Yeah, they give him a lot more in the book, too. Bevis, yeah. that I kept Bevis. thinking as Bevis. Bevis, yes, the Mike Judge character. I thought it was that, exactly. <laughs> he was more I... Edwardian than Bevis. <laughs> Which was a lovely, lovely thought in my head. Oh my God, Bevis performing ever. surgery oh, isn't on the doctor. You wouldn't <laughs> want it either. <laughs> Let's cut him open and see how he works. <laughs> I can't do butthead. I can do a perfect Beavis for some reason. All I have to remember is the line, I need TV for now, my butthole. Now you've read your dating profile. <laughs> I remember that. I know, I should put that in my... Uh, in my <laughs> oh my god. I should put that in my professional profile. The uh, What is the name of the website that you... LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> Well, you could go that direction. <laughs> oh, my it's God. A, there's a lot more color and event special, special skills. He can read French and Spanish as well as English, and he does a perfect Beavis. Oh, good He's God. still working on the butthead. <laughs> I'll get there eventually. Oh, that was boy. a decent belt-o-treve. <laughs> yes. 
Actually, I do a wonderful build. Of I believe it. Well, go ahead and demonstrate. Lenore! <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep calling me Bill? Why does everything I love run away from me? Oh, my God. Because you have to go and pet everything like a fool. <laughs> I do a better Hank than I do Bill Beaudry. <laughs> Tell you what. You know, speaking of marriages... Meg had been married to Sam for over 20 years, and by now she just believed everything yeah. I told her. And disbelieved There's everything I told her in principle. Sam content that might have been strictly necessary. <laughs> I was expecting him in ways to, to have a companion potential. God, really? Sam? Was, the poacher? He had so much story. Oh, God. He had a lot yeah, of story, and the fact that he saw the doctor oh. stumble off the TARDIS, I thought somehow it was going to wow. come well, back to that. That would have been so... That would have been a bold choice for them back then. Yeah. I don't know how they would have fit him in. I don't know how it would have worked either, format, but, but as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this guy could totally yeah. be like a weird... He could have been a Trouton companion. Yeah. I'm not sure he could have been a Baker companion. But, yeah, if he'd been a pearly companion, that would have just been the weirdest thing Interesting ever. idea to have an opportunistic companion who's actually just always on the make and trying well, to steal artifacts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you've seen Adric because you saw the last Tom Baker story. Mm. That's what he was supposed to mm. be. Didn't end up being that way. And, unfortunately, that really got watered down. But, oh, my gosh, it's really so strange. Uh, yeah, he does make that oblique reference to the first regeneration and how the clothes changed. This time they didn't, and he even refers to them as making him look like a scarecrow, mm-hmm. which is what he'll call the second doctor every time he sees him. Hmm. He calls him the scarecrow, which is just so funny. <laughs> as opposed to a hobo, which everyone else called him. Yes, yeah, the cosmic hobo. Cosmic hobo. Never got that. Never got that. The celestial hobo. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, I, I do love the interaction between the third Doctor and Liz because mm. they're just really charming together on screen and you can see the Pertwee is going out of his way to try to be, you know, just flare. Well, and it's more what I complained about being missing with Steve and sometimes Vicky. You know, they, the yeah. Doctor should be, you know, banter with them about scientific mm-hmm. things and become more engrossed in the story. And I yes. Disappointed when they weren't. And even do Seen things more like, respected and curious. Yeah, and do way. things with his eyebrows and say, yes. "That's Delphon for hello." Oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful bit. He seems very lively here. Yeah, yeah, he really is, and he'll get even livelier as uh, things go on because Pertwee will become much more physical than Trout ever was. But he's not considered funny. Well, he is though. Except when Pertwee does comedic bits, he suddenly becomes Pertwee the comedian. So you get the doctor becoming a comedian all of a sudden. And it's just like, why? Is it like more of a lame thing of an old man trying to it, be funny? Kind it of kind of is jokes a little, little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, that's, the way, that's the way it feels to me anyway. Okay. Every once in a while. Mm-hmm. On screen anyway. I mean, at one point in the later story, he will dress up as a cleaning woman. To get into <laughs> to get into a factory, and it's actually quite funny to see Pertwee doing drag, but it's very much a '70s comedian doing drag. Yeah, it's yeah. very Milton Berle, and you're like, "Oh, this is very charming," but it's not what we expect out of yeah. the Doctor. Because there were there were bits of that comedy with like whenever he's uh, incapacitated and 
I don't remember who, who sees him and he like opens his eyes and winks at them. The nurse! And That's then, not on screen at all. Yeah. I love that moment. It's like, that he wakes up just long enough to wink at her yeah. and goes back to sleep. And that seems very, very Troughton in a way. Very like yeah. second doctor kind of like... <laughs> okay. Yes. But... Yeah, hear, hearing hearing that he's he's more serious, I'm like, well, he doesn't seem too serious, but well, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, in fact, uh, it's one of those situations where we're never going to get a scene where the doctor is running away from being shot at and is going, oh, 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 yeah, like that. It's never going to happen again. Okay, which is fine, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. What else? Um, what else stood out to you? Because there are all sorts of things, such as the fact that even though on screen it's, it is called Madame Tussauds, it's not Madame Tussauds in the book. Apparently, mm. you can't just call it that in the book. Oh. Yeah, but it's Madame just Tussauds. A very, just a remarkably similar establishment. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I did, I did like them talking about the, the room with the uh, military leaders not being popular because they weren't pop figures. So they weren't celebrities, so no one cares about them. <laughs> well, the, way, the more things change. Well, they change completely because, yeah, we've... Yeah, I wish we could say that now. Dear, dear yeah. God. <laughs> Some nice flares here where Dix still cares, where he talks about uh, like, a few minutes they arrived outside the waxwork with a fine disregard for regulations that Dr. Park the Jeep on a double yellow line. <laughs> yes. I like that, the fine disregard for... <laughs> Regulation, disregard for regulation. It's still a bit of jauntiness. Yes, exactly. And the way the doctor ends up getting a car of the brigadier and saying, "Well, if I'm going to stay, can I have a car? Like, can I have that car?" Someone else. Well, well, what about one just like it? When when can we go? When can we go choose it? It's it's just hilarious. It's something that we haven't seen before. Makes perfect sense. Well, of course, he'd like a fast car. Yeah. Yeah. Or a weird car. And he's going to want that more than he wants money. I mean, he does say, I, I don't have any extra money. Purpose, yeah. What do I, what do I need money for? I barely sleep or eat. Why would I need anything like that? Um, There is a phrase later called reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. And that is... Pertwee made that phrase up when he couldn't remember a technobabble. And he uses it at least twice in the actual show. Okay. Then he'll use it again in the Five Doctors because by then it's kind of an in joke. It's a meme. It's a meme. It's a doctor mm-hmm. meme. By that point, this is Dick's literally putting it there for the mm. first time, essentially, and kind of codifying <laughs> it as a Third Doctor thing. Oh my God. Um. The Autons plan. I guess works. <laughs> yeah, what are they... Yeah. What are they actually doing? Did they just, like, infiltrate planets and kill everybody and then yeah. move on? Essentially. That they say something like, we've been colonizing planets for, for hundreds of thousand mil- million years. years. That's like, really? They don't specify a plan to eat all the brains Mm-mm. or no. strip mine or something like no. that. Usually no. we have a little bit of a nod to here's what we want which is weird because it's 1970s there's another show that's debuted by that same point and it's made by the creators of the Cybermen it's called Doom Watch and it goes on for three seasons it's about environmental horrors by the third season it had just become a spy thriller but because they ran out of environmental horrors but they knew about pollution 
and they knew about plastics. Poss- but this is the beginning of plastics. They may not mm-hmm. have thought of plastics as being the big pollutant that they become. Whereas when we get to 2005, what does Christopher Eccleston oh, say is the reason the Nestians are trying to take us over? It's because our world is perfect. It's got plenty of toxins and dioxins in the air. Everything and they're all, they can use. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's food for them. That makes a lot more sense than yeah. just colonizing us. Just taking over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because even, even in the past when we've had alien species that were coming to infiltrate they had a reason they wanted they, had a plan. they wanted something from us but yeah this was just like well, we're just here to yeah take we're just over. here but also just kind of the weird idea of this alien species that is kind of <sighs> creates horcruxes for <laughs> lack of a better term i guess yes, you know it kind of does creates yeah. these these plastic right it splits itself up and then shoots itself out in the space. There's a plan in search of a goal. Yeah. Yeah. That might be it. In fact, I think that may be indeed the only flaw with this whole story. Because, again, if you look at the Doctor Who plot way too much, as we always yeah. do, then it's going to fall apart somewhere. That's the only place it falls apart. It's like, why? Yeah. I'm to have a fun ride and a plot that doesn't quite make sense in the end than a meticulously assembled plot that's kind of a slog to get through. I agree. Yeah, yeah, like it didn't bother me per se. I'm more thinking about it now than even when I was reading, but it was just like, yeah, what is the purpose of all of this? Why are you doing (laughs) this? And I I think we're actually kind of actively looking for something to look at uh, negatively about this because I can't think of anything else negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time I've considered it. But I think it's because, again, it's always been described later as the reason why they came to Earth is because of the pollutants. Yeah. And I think that's a new idea. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's Robert Holmes's idea. I think Robert Holmes's idea, and I know this is for a fact, is let's scare the kids. Mm-hmm. He said the. And he whole, does the, so. Yeah, he said the prime reason we do Doctor Who is to scare the bejesus out of little kids. When he became script editor, you get some of the scariest stories ever, <laughs> to the point they scare adults. This one scared adults. I mean, the next one really an scares. Interesting adults. life purpose. Yeah, I to think scare so. children on TV. Well, I think it's brilliant. I think. Well, think about it. If you think about it this way, and I can't remember where I read about this. Shut up. I, don't, I can't remember where I read about this parallel recently, but someone said something about, look at our fairy tales mm-hmm. and the way we teach moral lessons to our kids. Mm-hmm. We do it with, you know, witches thrown into burning ovens, yeah. and we do it with uh, women being poisoned with poison apples, and we, you know, people Girls being eaten by, by wolves. wolves. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, kids love being scared as long as it's safe. The difficulty with Doctor Who when it does that is that now we're on Earth and where they're going to get in trouble next time is not only depicting dolls as frightening, but also depicting policemen Mm. as frightening. Well, aren't they? Well, they are to us. I mean, yeah. In the the age of Black Lives Matter, yeah, I think police are kind of genuinely terrifying to most of us. They might be more terrifying now than they were in the 70s. I I agree. Depends on who you were in 1970. It depends on who you were in 1970. That's true. If you were a person of color in Britain, you're probably still having much the same problems. For sure. But if you were a kid in Britain in the 1970s, you you know, you were taught taught to, you know, respect the cops and 
not be worried about them turning into faceless plastic creatures. Even today, you rarely see a cop turn into a faceless plastic creature. I know, it's, right? a, it's a low frequency occurrence. It's such a rarity. It really is. So you're saying it was new as scaring children without like a specific moral in mind? Possibly, because there isn't a moral in the story. Yeah. Except, you know, not to trust your plastic dollies. Even, even, yeah, even with the the factory and the talk about automation, I thought this was going to go possibly to, like, no. something about that. No. no. There was no, like, larger theme. Replacing the human worker with mm-hmm. machines. Yeah, I thought we were going to go more in that direction when yeah. Ransom looks at the factory floor. It's like, where are all the people who used to work on the line? Exactly. I think replaced. it's because Doctor Who's already done it by that point. Yeah. They kind of did it with the war machines a little bit. Maybe. Because the War Machines is kind of like a rough draft of the first unit story. Well, did the story when Ben and Polly first showed up yeah, and Polly's brainwashed as a... The War Machines, yeah. that's the one. That's exactly it. So I think it's, they've kind of done that, been there, done that, and they're just at this point doing it for the scares and to introduce the new Doctor. Yeah. And it's a good vehicle for that. It definitely does that. I wanted to say more about Channing and how well he's portrayed on the page, but I think it's a given. That if you've got a villain like that, he's got to be truly yeah. menacing, and the fact that we get inside the head of an alien invader from time mm. to time and get their motivations is really scary. It's like, whoa, okay. Is he actually going to let Hibbert live? Probably not, but yeah. he keeps telling him he will. At the beginning, there was a... There was a description that was used on him a couple times talking about his his face and how yes beautiful but kind of blank it was. Mm-hmm. The actor who they get to play him well, whenever they have the human autons, they just kind of give them a sheen over their face mm-hmm. so they look human but they're plastic. We haven't even talked about the illustrations. That's what I wanted to bring up because we're going to get a few books from the 70s that have the illustrations the way the 60s did. And oh my God, some of them are just hilarious. Like the first time that Scooby sees his counterpart, Scooby doesn't look anything like that for one thing. The mustache. For another, when the Autons are marching past the camera and one of them is looking directly out at the reader, it's like, whoa, what the hell is going on there? Looking into your soul. It kind of is. don't seem to all be by the same person. They are, though. They're all done by uh, Chris Achilleos. I think Mm. I'm mispronouncing that name. But he did a lot of the covers. He did the covers in the 70s as well. Not that one. He he did the one from the original uh, 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 edition. So some of the scenes are going to be very much like they are on screen, and some of them are nothing like they're on screen. Mm. I mean, the doctor looks like the doctor, the brigadier looks like the brigadier, and nobody else looks like anybody mm. else. So get used to those for a while, because... Uh, counting, the, maybe counting on it, having been a few years since people actually saw the episode, and they won't be able to review it, so who cares? That's a lot of it. I think that's exactly what it is. I, and I think that's... I think that's what's allowing Terrence Sticks to run wild with it. Mm-hmm. Because by now, he kind of knows the entirety of the... Uh, Pertwee Doctor's run, so he knows best how to describe him, and he was script editor during that time, so he knew Pertwee personally. Okay, you said Zipatone. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, the backgrounds are almost all that. Mm -hmm. The Zipatone background, that's right. The 
cross hatching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious, actually. You seem to get kind of tired towards the end. Yeah, as you do. As you do. You want, and that's why we end up losing the illustrations entirely because I think people realize, oh, yeah, we we're telling the story. We don't need those, and they take up valuable page space. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're nice, but yeah, they don't really add much. I love that one, the one of the Auton breaking. Yeah, out. Mm-hmm. I lo- well, the nesting. So the seventy-four out. cover is much more octopus and the 83 one is much more gynecological squid the interior <laughs> is gynecological octopus I would say. <laughs> oh my god split down the middle that phrase doesn't to work too a terribly little, <laughs> a little further. when we've been talking about gynecology you don't want to use that I, phrase I still say it's in two of these three Two of the three of these illustrations, it's ambiguous whether we're looking at a, uh, a concave or a convex shape, whether an eye or something <laughs> else. <laughs> oh, there is one thing I want to talk. I just want to throw in real quick. This is something that you wouldn't know about, but I do. Um, the scene with the doctor <laughs> driving. That's the whole theme of this podcast. Well, Nobody's saying that to us. <laughs> I know. I know. For the like 50th time, yeah. The scene where Listen the doctor's up, driving youth. is brand new, and Liz says, Did you get your license? Yes. <laughs> and he says something along the lines of, He was a qualified rocket pilot on the Mars to Venus route. Mm-hmm. In the very first Tom Baker story, written by Taryn Sticks, mm-hmm. the doctor is unloading his pockets. And he brings out the pilot card for the uh, Lars to Venus route. So that's Terrence Dix either having written Robot already and is putting that in to make the tie the or he's game. trying it out. It might be the long game, certainly. That's hilarious when you yeah. read that and you're like, oh my god, it would be just around the right time. So, should we go to Goodreads? Let us go. Yeah. Let us go so. to Goodreads. I don't know that I have anything else to add. Okay. As we always do, let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers and follow up with their own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book, or you simply have a question about it, simply read the book, write a review, or comment in our new Goodreads group, it's not new anymore, by the deadline, so that we have a chance to see it before discussing the book ourselves, you may just get your review read out loud here. <coughs> Sorry. <Bless you. laughs> Whose review did you just read aloud to That's what I read aloud to you. Kitties. Yes. The average rating for this book, um, yeah, that's Kitty, because he hasn't been debelled tonight. I don't know why. The average rating for this book out of five stars is, strangely enough, 3.77. Really? Which is exactly the same as uh, the War Games. They're rated exactly the same. A new reviewer on our Goodreads page, David E., doesn't give this one a rating, but he has this to say. Autumn Invasion is a good example of what a novelization should be. It rockets along at breakneck speed, gives the required amount of script page needed, and peppers in extra little bits that make me think a little differently about the TV story I've seen a million times. Best bit was finding out it was Hibbert that made Channing under hypnotic influence. That's not in the TV story at all. In fact, in my, in my script I say something about, no, it's not in the story either. It's not, but yeah, I know now what he's talking about. That it was that Hibbert actually created Channing. Yeah. 
And that, yeah, that's something that you do not get. Gathered, just, gathered all the parts of the eggs. Yeah. Yes, and then just suddenly came up with this creature. He just spawns on the page. Plus, we see Seely shows some concern for his wife. Yeah, yeah, he does actually. Our old friend Tom also forgoes the star rating, but he seems impressed by the book as well. This is a fairly standard Dick's novelization, in the best possible way. A breezy, detailed romp through the episodes is televised with a few nice touches to breathe a bit more character and detail into the story, which seems odd. What seems odd is how little the Doctor feels like Pertwee at times, and not just because he lost his navel tattoos between screen page. Pertwee does this, the shower scene, but of course Pertwee's in the Navy, so he has this big old snake tattoo on his forearm, and it's like... Does the doctor have a snake tattoo on his forearm? Or if I thought you said navel tattoo, I think like a belly button star. Oh, God. <laughs> well, this shows you how badly Doctor Who fans need to make everything jibe up. That's been retconned as a Gallifreyan prison tattoo. Oh. And that it vanishes as soon okay. as he's. Yeah. From season 6B. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Tony is unimpressed. I'm very unimpressed. So. I know the story made the Doctor a bit of a mystery, and post-generation stories tend to be a little confused and distant, but in my reading of the book, there was something essentially Doctorish missing from the character. That's what you were going, you were talking about, Dalton, the fact that he kept wanting to go away. Yeah. That's very undoctorish. And frankly, there were times I wondered why the Brigadier would ever even remotely consider the stranger to be the same man. Liz, however, comes across very well, and some of her better qualities, her curiosity and intelligence, get a little more room to shine than they do on screen. And finally, we have two reviews in Turkish, seemingly of the Finnish edition, but with very different takes. This is significantly more sophisticated than our usual fare. It really is. Emrakan Dokan, I think that's how it's pronounced, gave it five stars, saying, It was like the department. It was a nice change to write the names of the characters as they were read. Or rather, that's what Google Translate says, he said. The other reader, Berku Asena, gives it only three stars and says it was not bad. So I am overly sympathetic to this doctor for some reason, so I like it. So it's not very impressive when you read it right now, but I can see how amazing it can be in time. Or something like that, anyway. Thank you, Google Translate. Yeah. So, guys, what are your opinions? Allison, out of five stars, what would you give this? Man, I'm going to go for broke and say four, which is really high for me. But it's all very subjective and contextual, because like I said, this is the only childhood doctor I remember. And I probably saw maybe three episodes ever, but in my mind, when I think of the original doctor, this is the face I think of. I can't remember his voice at all. Oh. But I have this sort of impression in my mind of, oh, the real doctor has showed up. Right. So I was excited about this. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, real yes, the real doctor. Yes, yes. indeed arrived. And also, I was, you know, once again, so wearied by oh, another Terrence Dicks book. And he was so much more engaged and lively in this one than oh, yeah. usual. So I had, you know, bright expectations for this. I was looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. He exceeded them. So I'm not saying it's at all an objective score, but I really enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah. And I thought it had was, uh, dare I say, even rip-roaring. In Excellent. So, rip-roaring. It was a lot of fun, I thought. All right. It's all the jeeps. Yes, yeah. it's all the jeeps. So it's the downhill. It's the old man, the downhill yes. wheelchair t- chase, which is amazing. Being chased by a van, too. which I absolutely <laughs> hope is survived. It film, is, right? Yeah. Yes. 
Can we watch it tonight? And Pertwee does it, yes, we can. Oh, he does his own stunt? He does his own stunt. Oh, I do want to see that, He's actually in the wheelchair. Also, at the age I saw this, I had basically the same hairstyle, despite being 50 or 60 years younger. Yes, I had wild, curly hair that my mother had no idea what to do with. He doesn't have the bouffant yet. Oh, okay, that's the hair I remember. He doesn't have the bouffant bouffant. And he hasn't gone completely white yet, either, which is even crazier. I remember him having rather wild, curly hair. Yeah, that's later. That's later. Yeah. So four stars for me. Four stars, good <laughs> lord. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with Allison. Four stars for me as well. Um, yeah, rip roaring. That's this one just like gets going and it mm-hmm. just goes and goes and goes. It was a lot of fun. I'm really excited to kind of see how this doctor uh, fleshes out, mm-hmm. kind of gets that personality mm-hmm. that, that they all have, um, the individuality. They're like we've already said, Terrence Dicks cares in this yeah, book he does. And, it, and it shows uh-huh. um but yeah this one was a lot of fun a lot of good uh action going on uh introduction of the new companions the new doctor um yeah i'm really kind of excited to see where this third doctor goes but okay. yeah four stars for me terrific and four stars for me i think oh. yeah because it's this is good this is a good book. And I I almost was not expecting it to be good, but then I remembered, wait, this is his first book. This is his very first book ever. And, of course, it's going to be different from any other Dick's book we've read. Mm-hmm. I know that later on we will see other books of his that also... Shine. Take, yeah, <laughs> we will. We will, surprisingly. Um, and it's surprising which stories he does that with because there are stories you look at and you say, why would he give this much care to this? And then you realize, oh, he was script editor. Mm. Whatever mistakes he may have made as script editor, this is him trying to fix them. And it, it's fine and it's great and I love it and I love those illustrations. And I love yes. the fact that I don't fall asleep reading this book the way I fell asleep watching the four episodes because... Mm. It can be a chore, even though it's mm. the first time in color. It's 1970s British television color. Mm. Yeah. It's not as impressive to us as it would have been to them. For them, it would have been like Dorothy opening that door mm. and seeing Oz. Yeah. But for us, it's like, oh, God, this is like bad episodes of Kojak or something. <laughs> and our worst film. As opposed oh to the really impressive the really impressive episodes of Kojak. <laughs> yeah, because that second season, you know. But yeah, four stars. Well, thank you guys. Mm-hmm. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. <laughs> for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we discuss the novelization of the story titled on television, and I quote, Doctor Who and the Silurians. That's what it says on screen. However, it's novelized as Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters. We're actually devoting two episodes to this one. One, I will be recording with the authors John Peel and Arnold T. Blumberg. And two weeks later, we will have this panel, along with our good friend Jenny Ingersoll. Jenny! Ah. Yes! So you guys have a lot longer to read the next book, which means... Allison finished this one, so she should be able to finish that one as well. I finish all of them. I just don't do so before I arrive at Tony's apartment most of the time. Well, this time you have a whole month. Think of it as a break. 
In the meantime, if you liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all in order to these spaces, like a crazy person. You can visit our pristine Reddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc. Also, feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes. Give us a thumbs up or comment at YouTube, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash emperor.org forward slash videos. Follow us on Twitter, we're at dwtargetbc, or subscribe to us via the podcaster of your choice, including Spotify. We are now on Spotify. Big dogs. Eat it, JG. We're on Spotify. <laughs> We're catching up to you, man. We did we it. can't all be Caledonian boys. If all else fails you, and it inevitably will, email us at dwtargetbc at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of our new artwork on the Facebook page. Let us know what you think of the new theme arrangement, whether you like it or whether you'd like us to go back to the old one. We may do it. We may not. Thank you very much for listening, and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thank you.